Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name's Devin. Uh, I have a really cool sounding voice today because I've got uh, my allergies acting up. So I ask that you bear with me as we make it through this. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 3 through 5 is going to be our text. We're going to discuss it, discuss its, uh, how it's going to connect with the rest of our scriptures for this week, as well as what it points to for Sunday. So here we go. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You probably really recognize, hopefully, pretty pretty quickly, that first verse in its reference. Its reference is to John the Baptist. That's part of where we're most familiar familiar with it, is in our New Testament context. And just like any other Old Testament reference you find in Scripture, yeah, there, there is a, there is a bigger story there. It usually is pointing towards, towards something more than just what's happening in our New Testament context. New Testament context, you have this prophecy being made of who John the Baptist is, what his purpose is going to be, and it's making straight the paths for Jesus Christ. He comes as Christ's forerunner. He is not the Messiah, although he does preach the same message as the Messiah. Um, Though, maybe some could argue a toned-down version, but nonetheless, it is the same message, that of, that of repentance and a, an allegiance to God through faith. So what we find here in Isaiah 40, verse 3-5, through 5, it, in its larger context, is the second book of Isaiah. So if you look at your, your Old Testament prof, prophetical book, Isaiah, it's usually broken into three parts. This is the second book, and it's referred to as the book of the servant. And it stretches through what I believe is chapter 56. So if you can think of some other popular passages between 40 and 56, uh, the big one that should stand out is the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. You know, easily the most popular chapter in the book of Isaiah. In this chapter... It's not a reference to a coming Messiah of of who the of who this shepherd is going to be of who the servant's going to be, more like what chapter fifty three does. Rather, uh, verse forty, chapter forty. I'm sorry, verses one through eleven. You have these three different voices that are speaking up to almost reinstate what the nation of Israel has pushed away, and that is salvation from God. Uh, chapter 39 ends pretty pretty bad, and, and chapter 40 comes in to renew, remind uh, what God is going to do. And so there is this apprehension, this kind of idea of advent, if we want to use some of our terminology that we're, we're thinking about at Westgate this month, is that God is kind of pointing towards an advent, a coming of Him. He is coming to, to do some great things. What I really like about the three sections we have here in verses 1 through 11. So to break those up, it's verses 3 and 5, verses 6 and 8, 
in verses 9 through 11. And what you're going to see in each of those sections is a different voice calling out. So in our first section, the section that we've been given today, is the first voice is the glory of the Lord. The second voice is going to be the word of our God. The third voice, the arm of our Lord. If you don't have just one reference or any references when you're doing your own studies on the book of Isaiah, I really suggest Alec Moyer's commentary on the book of Isaiah. I love it. That's the one I always I always turn to. Um, I'm going to read you some things out of his commentary because I think it's it's awesome and it really paints a good picture. And I think theology is right there too. He says in verse three, a voice is used in an exclamatory way, meaning listen. Someone's calling out. The picture of the way of the Lord is not an exodus motif of the Lord's people journeying home. They are not called to prepare that way, for it is already for them. Rather, it combines the ancient picture of the Lord coming to his people's aid. With the practice of constructing processional ways for visiting dignitaries or for use by the gods as they were carried in procession, the Lord's road is to be straight, level, and free of obstacle. He will arrive without fail travel without difficulty, and be undelayed by hindrances. And that might be something that I've, I think I've often misunderstood about, or or maybe just confused at times of of John's purpose and what God was doing here in in Isaiah's context, but more specifically, John the Baptist's purpose. It's not him making a way for us to get to God. It's he's preparing the way for God to come to us. And that just fits so much more, you know, succinctly with what, else we read in scripture about God coming to us, Christ being incarnated to us. That's what First John, I mean, that's the whole theology there is that God has come to us in the flesh. And I think this just continues that that motif of, of an incarnation, of the way being made for, for God to come to us. In the same vein, verse 4 then makes a lot of sense too. We might experience uneven ground, mountains and hills and low places on our journey to God, but God did not experience any of that in coming to us. His way was made easy, and that should be comforting for the God of people to hear, that God easily comes to us. There's there's no trouble for him. He can come to us. He's, he's come to us in our absolute you know dire moment. In verse 5, And all the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, It's really important to pay attention to that second line. All flesh shall see it together. Um, What Alec Moyer brings up is the glory is the Lord's presence, the Lord revealed in his exalted state. Meditation on the Exodus developed the thought that it took place not only before the watching world, but also for the world. This suggests taking C in its double sense of observing and experiencing. I think what comes to my mind with that is is Philippians. Um, Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. All flesh will see it together. The glory of God will be revealed. And with that connection, how how do you not see that while these verses do speak of John the Baptist and his role in the coming ministry of God, um, especially as it's contextualized within the Gospels, but more so, it is speaking of Christ. Uh, and man, that's one of the big lessons I think I'm, I've been learning over the past couple of years is 
man, everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. It, it's so hard not to see it. Once you put those glasses on, it's hard to take them off. The glory shall, uh, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Not just a seeing, but an experiencing. That's what I really like, Alec, what you're pointing out here. We will all be confronted with, and we will all experience, and we all will see Christ revealed in, in the splendor and the glory of his kingship. And that will require of us that we have made our confessions, that we have made our allegiances, that, that glory of God shall be revealed. I pray that you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor in genuine and sincere ways this week. Peace and love.